Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. And we've had over 60 sales leaders on the show in the past two years. And it's not often that we get to invite leaders back onto the show. And I'm delighted today to have a returning guest to the show who's a sales leader that I respect and admire massively. Today's episode guest is none other than Anoop Kira. Uh, Anoop, welcome back to the show. It's fantastic to see you again and really looking forward to picking up where we left off last time. Matt, first of all, thank you for the warm welcome. Always a pleasure to be on the uh, U-Hubs podcast. So appreciate the invite, Matt. Looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise. Anoop, it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind 12 months since we last caught up on the show. The last time we spoke, you were Chief Revenue Officer at Smart. You've obviously gone on to smash that one out the park, so to speak. And if you wouldn't mind just updating everyone, you know, for those who didn't listen to our previous episode, it'd be great to just recap on a little bit more about your journey, you know, the exits, the journey into leadership, and then also just fill us in, you know, update us on what's been happening since that amazing acquisition. Yeah, sure. Just kind of going back, giving you the 30 second career overview map for people that didn't listen last time kind of been in SaaS now for over 15 years. Been very fortunate to have been part of some fantastic growth companies that have gone on to do some amazing things. Not putting that all down to myself, but just being part of that journey. Some would say right time, right place. Obviously one of those was Exact Target, which went to IPO and then acquired by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, which was a, a fantastic journey in itself. Most recently, what you're referring to is when I was at Chief Revenue Officer at Smart. So Smart were a kind of Series A organization taking a certain amount of funding. My job was to kind of come in, look at how we can get a presence in the UK, set up a presence in the US, and then kind of see if we can really target and tackle the enterprise, which meant pretty much starting from scratch and kind of building everything from a team to a sales process and using relevant technologies to help us get there. Now, that two and a half year journey was I say concluded for me at the beginning of 2022, where last year around September time, the hard work really paid off for everyone at Smart, did a fantastic job where we were acquired by Marlin Equity and kind of joint with a company called Koyo and Jubuwe to become almost like an employee engagement cloud. So yeah, we had an exit event back in September time, really, really happy for myself and the team, a lot of hard work and yeah, Great to finally get an exit, which is what we all kind of strive to do, especially in SaaS startup. And then since that point, where am I now? I've decided to kind of get back into MarTech. So my last company, Smart, was in HR Tech. So in MarTech now, at a company called Attentive. So they are a leading provider in SMS marketing. And yeah, joined the business beginning part of the year as a VP and GM of International. So in effect, whilst we've had a great journey and we've got huge growth and we've done that all in North America. My job is to kind of help the business to grow in regions such as EMEA and APAC. Yeah, I love that. And what a journey, what a ride, right? It feels like yesterday that we were having our first conversation on the podcast and it still felt like quite early days at Smart then. You just moved through the gears so quickly, it felt like, and what brilliant outcome for everyone involved. 
No, 100%. And uh, yeah, I was just thinking back to that podcast. And I think at the time, Matt, we were just touching on the impact remote working when COVID kind of struck and what that meant to organisations. So uh, we're here now and it looks like we are returning to some sense of normality with people heading back into the workplace. So yeah, a lot has changed. We caught up for a beer a few weeks ago and it when you were speaking on stage at Sales Confidence. And one of the things really is kind of burned into my memory from your talk that you gave that night was you spoke about the importance of, as an EMEA go-to-market leader, pursuing that 100 mil ARR number and, and how important that is, especially for you know the US SaaS businesses that are coming over here. The market right now is hot, right? There's an unbelievable amount of capital flowing in and it feels like you as a sales leader who's been through that journey multiple times now are in a really you know, beneficial position. You've got the battle stories, you know, you've been in the trenches, you've come out the other end and you've done it three times now. How excited are you to take on this new challenge, at Attentive, and pursue that big old number again? Yeah, always excited. I think I would kind of say that maybe it was a bit of good luck as well, right time, right place in, in certain organisations. I'm, I'm not going to, again, take the credit for that. It's working with good people, but just me personally still have the appetite to kind of grow. And yeah, it was interesting kind of fact when you look at it that I think I said at the time on that talk that in 2019 the median ARR for companies that were looking to IPO was in a region of about 260 million and most organizations that are kind of US HQ'd expect at least 30% of that to come from EMEA so like 85 million odd is the number that people expect to come from this region so it's not an easy task by any means but again it's an enjoyable one if you get it right. It's very humble of you to say, and we're going to come on to talk about some of these topics today in the show, people being one of them and how to build that talent in the right way. But I mean, who better to learn from than someone like yourself that's been there, done that, and you know, worn the t-shirt on more than one occasion. Let's jump into some of the stages of that growth journey, so to speak. And you're obviously going through this at the moment, attentive, you know, you're building your organization out from the ground up here in EMEA. What are some of the key principles that you think about when it comes to hiring Anoop? And, you know, obviously getting those early hires right is so crucial to the future success of your growth plans. What are some kind of fundamental things that you think about at day one? Yeah, I think when you build any region, regardless if it's a new region, I think one of the things right now I think any sales leader will testify to is that A, the market's pretty hot right now when it comes to talent, right? Like I think when you look at the amount of companies generally that are getting funding, which is fantastic to see. You look on your LinkedIn feed, Matt, and you're kind of seeing, oh, Series C, Series D, and people are raising great amounts of money, which is fantastic for all of us in in, in SaaS. That being said, there is probably that kind of supply and demand challenge that you have for kind of good talent versus the amount of organizations that are looking for talent. So A, it's really important to be able to find salespeople and talent, but more so, it's got to be the right talent for your organization. And what might be a good hire for company A may not necessarily be the best hire for company B. So I think it's first and foremost like about getting the right people in and just going back on previous experience, especially when you're starting. Salespeople, if you get that wrong, there's a big cash burn to the business. So regardless of how big your organization is, what you can't afford to do is make the wrong hires because it has a, a massive impact on existing talent that you have with an organization, the impact that it has on other departments that are needed to kind of support the hires that you're supposed to have in place. So yeah, hiring, I would say, is 
right now top of mind and I think it's top of mind for myself it's also top of mind for, for a number of sales leaders I speak to as well and it's how do you get the the right talent into your business yeah and we've spoken about this before right it's the impact on runway you know I, I think when you've raised the amount of money that attentive have it's not quite as such a keep you awake at night challenge but you know if those highs don't work out you've obviously made that investment and you haven't seen any return on that investment you've made in, in that hire. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I think it's something that we just need to keep at the front of mind all the time. Because yeah, I think one of the things that you, you have a ramp quota for your AEs, but they need to work. So how do you get the right people in? How do you onboard them so that they are kind of productive? And, and then kind of how do you manage that moving forward from, as you, I think you refer to it as, as ever boarding, Matt, as well. But I'd probably just say there is a lot of importance in that. So day one in the seat, right? Because your network's enormous. How much of your time are you spending on looking at your existing network, reaching out to them, you know, some of the most talented reps that you think would be a great fit culturally versus actually just working with your internal recruiters and, and getting the profiles right, et cetera? Yeah, really good question. And I think if I look at that, I'm really fortunate in the fact that currently we have a good talent team that are solid and have a good process. So I think there's a balance. I think there'll be key individuals that I would kind of look to, to see how they are. And obviously want to be really respectful because I'm very fortunate enough to work with good people across the board in, in various departments and functions. And a lot of those people are doing really well, which is fantastic to see. So I think it's a balance of like almost selecting a few key individuals to see if they're available and if they're up for the challenge. Likewise, I think it's just about trust right like you have to trust other departments in the business to go and do what they're good at and be able to deliver on what you need so yeah i would probably say at the moment if i look at it i'd say like 15 20 percent is through kind of my network and then i just let the experts in their particular field do what they're good at i like it yeah nice rule of thumb so you know you're not going to kind of over index on your existing network and spend ages chasing but you're going to reach out to those kind of key contacts that you think would be a good fit and then you'll kind of leave the rest up to your in-house team. Yeah, and I've been lucky. I've had a few people reach out to me as well. So I've uh, been fortunate in that way. That helps, right? I had a conversation yesterday you know, with Erica, who's now VP of sales and GTM at Greza. She was one of the early team at Outreach. And what was interesting is that Erica is a former teacher. So if you think about the nature of the jobs market at the moment, it's such a candidate-driven market and you know there's such competition for sales talent. Curious to hear from your perspective, do you see more non-traditional roles such as teachers coming into the sales profession? Is that something that you can see happening more so? I think you can. I, and I think it's also kind of pushed by, if we're completely open and honest, is just the the kind of benefits from a package point of view that SaaS offers. And I've spoken to people before and I've been in this space now for 15 years and you, you kind of look back and you kind of think, we've been really, really lucky. Because when you look at just packages and salaries in SaaS, we're like the premiership footballers of the kind of normal employment world when you look at what's on offer to us. So I think there's that natural pull factor of people kind of been drawn in by what SaaS can offer. And you look at that just by SDRs. If you tried to hire an SDR recently, you'd probably know that you've kind of got individuals that are coming out, first time jobs, kind of demanding like money that you would not dream of, which is almost double the national average at the moment as well. But I think there is that pull effect from the package part, but I also think that more and more technology companies are founded every day. So by default, there's more opportunities available. And uh, going back to my previous point, 
supply and demand, if there's only X amount of people that have, I don't know, five years in SaaS that you're gonna find, at some point you have to look for people that have the potential to really pick up the industry, pick up the process and do a really good job. And one of the things that you kind of test for, and I think go back to one of your earlier questions, what you kind of look for when you're making hires, it's probably twofold, right? One is like characteristic traits. So is someone accountable? Are they kind of self-motivated? Are they driven, resilient? All of those things that you may test for for your interview process. The other side of that is kind of execution experience. So has someone done the job? They got a good track record before? Did they know the industry? Now that execution experience part, I think is something that, again, you can go and try and find and it's out there, but it's becoming more and more difficult versus, okay, can I find these characteristic traits around coachability and some of the other ones I mentioned before in kind of non-traditional industries and, and bring them into an organization? So yeah, really, really valid point. I think we're seeing more of that. Are you making any changes to your recruitment process in terms of how you're thinking about, you know, either going after a slightly different segment of candidates? You know, we talk a lot about diversity in the industry. You know, do you think this is a great opportunity to actually tap into non-traditional pools of talent with the market as competitive as it is? And how do you think about that? Are you making any changes this year? So I think from my point of view, and I think it depends where you are on your journey. Now, obviously, if you look at where I am in this particular journey, it's pretty much, okay, how do I build an international business from scratch in EMEA and APAC? What I need to do there, first and foremost, Matt, is have people that have got that experience. I think in time, I will be able to kind of supplement that with non-traditional roles. And in some roles, like I said, SDRs, we are taking people that don't have the experience, but just have the ambition and drive and some of the characteristic traits to come on board. I don't think we'll never say never, in any specific role but i think for me personally i'd be looking for that combination of execution experience versus characteristic traits and perhaps fair to say that the previous gig at smart it was much more of a kind of earlier stage build where you were probably looking for a bit more generalist approach in terms of what you needed to do there versus obviously attentives further down that road much bigger organization much more mature in terms of your stage does that change the requirement of who you're hiring? Are you hiring more kind of specialists who have been there, done that at an A level? To be completely honest, I think in both roles, regardless of, of stage of company, the task was the same. How do you build a company that doesn't have a headquarters in the UK? How do you build it out in that region? And, and in SMARP, it was the US as well. Here it, it's APAC and the UK. Going back, really, the, the criteria was the same. Like, get that blend to start with and then as you scale and then you have a solid core team of AEs that know how to do the role, understand the industry, understand the product, understand the process. At that point, you can kind of say, okay, well, I'll take someone with maybe not as much experience or someone with non-traditional experience into the role. But I think when I look at that, both have similarities in the fact that when you look at core what you need when you first build out, I think you need to have people you can rely on that can go and do the job effectively. Obviously you need to kind of give them product coaching and kind of what our processes are because the biggest commodity we have or, or don't have, should I say, is time when you're a leader doing that. So you're spinning multiple plates and at that point you just want people that are kind of, okay, that can hit the ground running to a certain extent that kind of just ease that burden for you. Whereas I don't think you can go straight off the bat and try and give someone that doesn't have that experience everything from day one. It just makes your job a little bit harder. Yeah, and that's probably a good time for us to come and to think about the role that enablement plays in 
you know, obviously onboarding and ramp times are so key. I mean, how are you thinking about your ramp times? And just give us a little bit of insight, if you will, in terms of how your planning looks in terms of the hires you're making and when you need to get them productive. Yeah, I think that's one of the levers, right? Like, obviously, we have ramp times calculated for AEs had this in this role and in other roles. And I think the the key then becomes is in order to kind of scale and well grow quicker than expected, it's like, okay, how do I refine certain parts? And one of those parts that you want to refine every time is, okay, if I can reduce the ramp time by 20%, what impact does that have? Because headcount is planned in for the year, right? Which is going to equate to the number that you need to achieve. Any improvement in that headcount means that you overachieve. And so really that's where you want to work hand in hand with your enablement team. If you have an enablement team or work with your first line managers to ensure there is continuous coaching plans outside of the kind of when you first join a company to say, oh, I'm in, let me do the first couple of weeks onboarding and then just let people go. That's great to get people up to speed, but I think it's that continuous kind of coaching and improvement that gives you the ability to kind of cut into that ramp time and like I said, improve that by 10%, 20%. Something I've been talking with leaders about a lot at the moment is it's amazing how many onboarding programs are condensed into basically a two-week Excel sheet, you know, and you, you kind of get through that formal onboarding and then it's like, all right, go and figure it out, go and close some deals. It really fascinates me that onboarding, if you don't have that ongoing development piece behind it or running alongside it, it becomes very much, you know, one size fits all and reps are coming from different backgrounds with different levels of experience. And how do you think about, you know, personalizing their development beyond just those first 14 or 30 days to help get them up to speed as quick as possible? Yeah, I think that it's imperative to do so, Matt. I think you can't just do that two week condensed course and then off you go. I hire individuals based upon different parameters right so while someone may be slightly weighted heavier with an industry experience or someone's got more enterprise experience but when you look at that it's about understanding okay where is someone really strong where can they be improvements and it's something i actually ask all of the reps that have ever worked for me actually to self-analyze so not only am i analyzing first line managers are analyzing i'm also asking people for that self-awareness and where they believe they're strong and not where they believe they're bad but where they could improve because sometimes you're just going to be aware yourself of like, okay, I'm really, really good at this, but I could be better at doing something else. And how do I improve on that? And it's that consistent kind of process of evaluating at different levels that enables me and the teams I've worked before to really build those plans because you can't blanket manage or blanket coach across every individual and using technology and Matt, obviously at Smart, we use U-Hubs as well that really helped just easily identify where the fixes were for particular reps. And again, that's really important because as I alluded to before, we don't have a lot of time, like only a certain amount of hours in a day. And especially when you're trying to build from the ground, it's like, okay, where are you spending your time? And if you can kind of pinpoint quite easily where to spend the time and where to focus, that helps immensely. Yeah. One of the things that a chief revenue officer said to me last week, that frontline sales managers have got a tough gig. They get promoted into their first leadership role because they're a high performer. And then they inherit a team with no leadership experience, no coaching experience. And then they're just expected to basically figure it out on the job. And then, as you say, you know, a sales leadership role requires you to wear so many hats and time is of the essence. And you know, with everything being remote now, I mean, obviously some organizations now we're seeing are coming back to the office. And how have you found that shift around being able to 
keep visibility over where the team are at, you know, where they need some help, where you can make an intervention as a leader. How have you found that experience, obviously, remote versus coming back to the office? I think when we went remote, everyone just had to adjust, right? Like, as a sales leader, you had to kind of think, okay, I don't get the benefit of the kind of coffee machine chats. I don't get the benefit of just seeing someone in the office and being able to just sense if someone's kind of feeling up, down, or feeling positive towards a role. So that process over the last two years, where if you were kind of astute as a leader, you were like, okay, how am I going to kind of check in on my people? How am I going to see outside of their role and their day-to-day job, how people are kind of feeling? That meant that you'd have more touch points, like virtually than you would do than ever before. I think right now, going back into like offices and yeah, we're going back in a couple of days a week. I think you'll be able to use the skill set that you've acquired over the last couple of years. And that's made it to a certain extent easier because now that you can see people in person, it makes that a lot easier and it almost magnifies your ability to kind of sense where someone's in a good place or a bad place. But again, I think whether it's in person or virtually, I think it's down to us as leaders to make that time and spend that with individuals just to understand areas for kind of coaching, but also just that kind of mental well-being because obviously that's been really, really important over the last couple of years as well. And that's something that we continue to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. You've made the hires, you've got a robust hiring process, you understand the characteristics you're screening for, you're using your network, you're also trusting your in-house expertise to go out and find those perfect fit hires. You've then got a personalized approach to supporting them during that ramp up process to get them up to speed as quick as possible. You know, we at UHubs talk a lot then about what we call everboarding. You know, you get the reps up to speed, but then how do you keep investing in their development? How do you keep them productive? How do you keep them hungry and fed? I've worked with you. I know that this is something you take really seriously in terms of developing not just the salespeople, but the actual humans behind the sale as well within your team, Anoop. I mean, how do you keep that front of mind and how do you keep that as a priority as you continue to scale with a million and one things that you've got to do as a revenue leader? Yeah, I kind of refer to that a bit like when you look at reps and one of the things that you kind of notice is that self-generation and prospecting are something that not all reps love, let's be honest. And when you look at a rep star in a week, it's always like, oh, I'm going to get round to kind of prospecting and put the time in. I kind of refer to the way I look at that is the same way as which I help reps with like getting prospecting time is that big rocks methodology where in its most simplest form is that put blocks in your calendar to focus on the big things that are really important. The whole premise being if you had a jar and you put the big rocks in first, you can get smaller rocks and sand and it will all fit in. Whereas if you start with the sand first, then try and put the big rocks in, you're never going to make time for it. So in the same way, that kind of ongoing coaching is something that's really important to me. So I'll ensure that whether it's beginning of a quarter, that that time is always in there for me personally to ensure I'm spending time with my first line managers, with reps to ensure that do we have coaching plans, the progress of those coaching plans, to look back on kind of last queue and and did we develop as individuals and was there an impact to that development on actual results, right? I think one of the worst crimes that can ever happen is like let's put a coaching plan in place and then you kind of start it and then it's just kind of lost, right? Like what's the point? So yeah, just putting that time in. And again, if you have the luxury depending on what size organization you are, then look, work with your sales enablement team, right? That's what they're there for as well, to be a business partner to you as well. They can identify across the whole organization areas where there needs to be improvement. I think you can help that from a local level as well. And if you work hand in hand with that business partner, you should create a coaching plan 
that adds value to your reps. That's one of the biggest reasons reps leave, Matt, right? Look, I, I've seen is that a lot of people will say, oh, is it around money and package? Look, that can play a part, but people want to be developed, right? People want to grow. And if you've been in a role for, for X amount of years and you, and you believe that you can kind of do this role inside out, are you growing? Are you learning? And that's where reps tend to leave. And I've done so many interviews recently, go back to the hiring, and I ask people like, why are you having a conversation with you in the most respectful way? What is it? And uh, one of the reasons for leaving, one of the most common ones would be lack of personal development. So that's why I kind of keep it at the forefront. Yeah. And, you know, we don't even have to make the case for how expensive attrition is, especially if you're losing your top performers, right? And, yeah. and how that slows you down in your growth path as well. The final point I want to cover on today's conversation, you know, I saw something recently from Tom uh, Outreach where he described the difference between scaling a SaaS business in the States versus EMEA. And he says that they are similar to American football versus rugby in that it's a similar shape ball, similar amount of players, similar size pitch, but they're slightly different sports. As a leader growing outside of HQ and essentially building from the ground up, how do you keep that humility as a leader in terms of holding your hands up and admitting to the team that you don't know all the answers and you've actually got to figure these out together and you know, keep that kind of team spirit going as you scale? Yeah, good question. I always refer to that right now. I'm in a startup within a huge scaler. Right? And if I keep that to front of mind, that plays a big part. I think it's that open communication back to HQ just to let them know that this is a process. And just that kind of reminding people, right? I kind of refer to it as success amnesia, where at some point when a company's done really well at HQ, regardless of company, they've had to go through the struggle, right? They've had to go outside, they've had to make tweaks to the product just so they can get those first deals in. And then they can be really, really successful after that. But it's about reminding people that it took kind of hard work to overcome some of those challenges. And we're gonna to have to go through that process right now that you may have done three years ago four years ago or five years ago we're going through that now and i think it's that kind of constant communication reminding them of success amnesia and then i would say i think when you look at international growth initially yes you need to have executive buy-in to kind of green light the international expansion but i think what makes it really important or makes it successful is keeping executive buy-in because if you keep that front of mind and it doesn't become an afterthought, then you will be successful because you'll have backing from the business. Yeah, I love that. I think it's great takeaways there. I'd also imagine that that then also translates into the way your approach to developing the team. I mean, you know, you've got to keep an open mind in terms of how things like product knowledge evolve with a brand new product that you're getting to grips with, right? Yeah, 100%. I think really, really good point. I don't think I could probably add too much to that. I think it's a fair point. Anu, I've really enjoyed today's conversation. I know that you are growing like an absolute weed over at Attentive. Um, for those who are listening to this and, you know, either haven't crossed paths, you know, haven't connected with you already, where can the audience, our community of sales professionals connect with you? Where can they find out more? Yeah, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Anu Kira, and just reach out to me on there and perhaps have a conversation with like-minded leaders. Awesome. Anoop, really enjoyed the conversation as always and look forward to getting you on for a hat-trick episode at some point in the future. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. Enjoyed it thoroughly. By uncovering blind spots on performance, motivation and skills, UHubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimise their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue.
The UHub's Pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs, personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.